Welcome into our season in review edition of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill, as always, wishing you all a happy new year. Probably not as happy a new year as you hoped it would be, though, if you were an Ohio State fan. We we said at the end of last week's episode, you were either going to be really, really happy or really, really disappointed. And unfortunately, if you're a Buckeye fan, you're probably still feeling really disappointed after the way Saturday's game played out. Not just another loss to Clemson for Ohio State, but one that really came in heartbreaking fashion for the Buckeyes as they had opportunities to win the game. For a while, it certainly looked like they were going to win the game, and it slipped away. Clemson ultimately winning the game 29-23. Tigers going on to face the LSU Tigers in the national championship game while Ohio State's season is over. And Colin, I think it's going to take a long time for Ohio State fans to get over this one. Yeah, I think that when Ohio State fans are watching the LSU Clemson game, I mean, it's just going to be the entire time is, you know, this should have been Ohio State. I think that that will be the prevailing feeling in Columbus for an entire year until they start playing football again next fall. And there are just so many reasons why that's the case. There are are self-inflicted reasons. There are reasons you can blame the refs. There are reasons where you just maybe, maybe Ohio State didn't play well on just certain plays and things happened. And it all sort of coalesced and and, and losing a game that I know for the majority of the game, the vast majority, even down to the final offensive play that Ohio State had, I just, I was pretty confident Ohio State would pull it out because I I really thought that they were sort of proving that they were the better team for, for the majority of the game. Yeah, I think what makes this game so agonizing if you're an Ohio State fan or coach or player or anyone is that, sure, you can point at one or two different things in the game, whether it's one of the calls that was overturned or whether it was the last play with Chris Olave running the wrong route, Justin Field throwing what was ultimately the game ceiling interception. But I think what really makes this game so agonizing is you can just look at all the different things that Ohio State could have done over the course of a game that could have made this a different game. I keep going back to the first half where they had three trips inside the red zone and settled for field goals on all of them. After that, the game was a 16-0 game. If Ohio State scores touchdowns on all those drives, it's a 28-0 game and the game's over. Clemson's Clemson's not coming back if Ohio State has a 28-0 lead. So Ohio State let Clemson hang around in the game by being unable to finish those drives of touchdowns. And then you set it up to where Sean Wade gets called for targeting, where Justin Ross's fumble gets overturned to an incomplete pass, where Clemson's able to put together a couple big offensive drives, and where all those things add up to where Clemson's able to win the game, even though it did look like for most of the game that Ohio State was the better team on the field, that there were times in the game where Ohio State looked dominant, but if you let a team as good as Clemson hang around and you leave points on the table, eventually that's going to come back to bite you, and it certainly did in this game. Yeah, one of the things that was so devastating about the the red zone sort of errors early in the game when they settled for three field goals, I think two were from within the 10-yard line. I think they were from the six, if I remember. Um, was this team has been so good in the red zone for the entire season that it really didn't it seemed weird at the time that, that they couldn't punch it in because you look throughout the year, they were, they were one of the best red zone teams in the country. And it comes a year after last year when 
if, if, if Ohio State had struggled against Washington in the bowl game in the red zone, it would have been like, well, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what they've done the whole year. What Ohio State did for, for a large uh, portion of, of Saturday's game was sort of what they had done um, throughout the entire year, except in the red zone. And that was just one of those few areas that just killed them. And I think you also look at it, it's not just like they got into the red zone and Clemson made great defensive plays to stop them from scoring. Every time they got in the red zone, there were there were things that went against them that kept them from scoring, whether that's the first drive and they're rolling down the field and then Garrett Wilson's catch is initially ruled to be out of down. There's a lengthy review. It kind of slows down Ohio State's momentum, allows Clemson to catch its breath, and then Ohio State has to settle for a field goal. The second time in a red zone, J.K. Dobbins, who had already had a 68-yard run, he runs for 60, 64 yards. You watch that play. He looked like he had a touchdown. Tanner Muse from Clemson chases him down from behind, trips him up at the 8, and then, of course, a few plays later, J.K. has a chance to score a touchdown and just doesn't fully maintain control of the ball through the ground. It was initially ruled to be a touchdown catch. That gets overturned to be an incomplete pass. So there's another one that you almost had right there. And then, you know, even you, you get to later in the game and you throw a screen pass to J.K. Dobbins and he looks like he's got a clear path to the end zone with blockers in front of him and he drops that screen pass and then you've got to settle for another field goal. So just so many little opportunities like that, so many little things that Ohio State can look back on and say, man, if we could have, if, if, if we could have gotten some of these breaks, we would have won this game and they might have won it convincingly. Yeah, and there were, there were a couple others. I mean, that's the thing about this game is there isn't just one thing to point to. It's not just this one moment because there are many moments where if this had gone another way, I think Ohio State probably would have won. And that's the thing that's that, that's going to be so agonizing about this for the next however many years. I mean, many years. I mean, this is one of those seasons where you're going to look back and think, oh, my God, like I cannot believe Chris Olave turned the wrong way. Or he thought Justin Fields was scrambling. And then all of a sudden on the last play, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interception where I think it – quite possibly could have been a game-ending touchdown that way. Um, you're going to think back to those two calls. You're going to think back to the to, to J.K.'s uh, two drops and, and what was sort of an, an unbelievable game for him where he, at the beginning of the game, it seemed like he was having sort of this spectacular game where um, – the, the kind of game that he had wanted to have the entire season. He had the 68-yard run, he had the 64-yard run, and then he has the two drops, and he also injures his ankle, and he comes back, and it's just, it's just complicated. I think it's a little bit of a complicated game for him. It goes both ways. I think he both kept him in the kept him in the game, gave him a, helped give him an early lead, and then also was one of the reasons why they didn't win the game. Um, it will be hard to look back at, at certain plays of this game for, for many years. And I think it was a complicated game for a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, a guy, a guy like Chris Olave, you're talking about one of the most reliable players on the team all season, a guy who has made clutch play time after time. He already made one earlier in the fourth quarter when you know Ryan Day makes a gutsy call, fourth and one on the 23. Basically the same play that they ran at the end of the game with Chris Olave running a, running a route into the middle of the field. Justin Fields hits him for a 23-yard touchdown, the same yard line from which they were throwing from on their last drive of the game, and, and they hit it there. So he makes the play there doesn't make it at the end of the game. That's the one that's going to be remembered. But 
you know, this is a guy who's made so many plays all year, it's hard to be too critical of him for just making one mistake. And Justin Fields, you know, people are going to look at it and say, well, you know, he threw two interceptions. He'd only thrown one interception all year, but, you know, still threw for over 300 yards. I, you know, I've, I've heard people saying that, you know, they didn't think he had a good game. I, th- I thought he played a pretty good game. I fought against a really good defense to, to have 320 passing yards and, and, you know, lead some of the drives that he did. I, I thought Justin Fields played well. I think he was hampered a little bit by his knee. I don't think he was quite a hundred percent and we we didn't you know we saw one 21 yard run other than that we really didn't see him do too much damage with his legs uh so i think that might have hurt them a little bit jk dobbins of course you mentioned he he had the ankle injury late in the first late in the first half i don't think he was quite the same guy in the second half and you know you you know you look at the defensive side of a ball I, i think the defense got off to a great start in this game but they did give up more big plays than they had given up all year, and I think that's bound to happen uh, against a a team like Clemson. But it just it all adds up. It's it's one of those you you can't you can't just point the finger at one person and say if this person had done this, it would have been better. And and some Ohio State fans want to just point the finger at the replay officials and say that cost them a game. And I I understand that point of view that's the way you're naturally going to feel as a fan when a game this close is influenced that much by a couple controversial calls. But football is a 60-minute game, and there are just a lot of different things that, that could have gone in a different direction here for Ohio State. And if even two or three of the things that we just mentioned had gone in Ohio State's direction, I think the Buckeyes win this game. It's just that... They, they just didn't really get many breaks in this game. There just there just really weren't many breaks that went the Buckeyes' way, and a lot of breaks that went Clemson's way. Yeah, I think if, if one goes there, if if one goes there, where I think that they ultimately win. Um, I think that Ohio State cost itself the game. I think the refs, uh, the replay officials, cost cost Ohio State the game. Like when I look at it, it's just I think that if one of these certain things went Ohio State's way, the game ends differently. Um, and if we want to talk about the, 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 the calls, I mean, they had a gigantic effect on the game. When Sean Wade, I mean, I honestly, I don't know that I've ever really seen a, a play, sort of a first half play sort of swing a game the way that that Sean Wade targeting swung the game because it was for multiple different reasons. One, that was a third down sack. Ohio State was about to get off the field. They were about to get the ball back. Um, and then all of a sudden, Clemson's drive continues. They score in that drive, and they score immediately. And all of a sudden, it turns from what was going to be a 16-point lead that Ohio State had with the ball into all of a sudden Ohio State goes into halftime with a two-point lead. And not only that, but no longer do they have Sean Wade for the rest of the game. And, and we saw against Michigan just sort of the, the impact that he can have. And obviously, Clemson was, was without T. Higgins for a good portion of the game, and that affected them as well. But, I mean... You just don't know what play Wade might have made in the second half. It, you obviously you, you can't. You just will never know. Well, the crazy thing about that swing is, and it's probably kind of forgotten in the aftermath of a game, but for a moment there, it looked like a possible disaster scenario for Clemson because Trevor Lawrence was lying on the turf after that sack from Sean Wade, and 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 I don't think anybody wanted to see. A situation where Trevor Lawrence got hurt that's not how you want to see the game go but if, if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt on that play 
all of a sudden, you know, that could have been it for Clemson. He's such an important player to them that if if he had been hurt on that play, I, I don't think there's a, really any chance they would have won the game. Nope. So uh, for a moment there, it looked like disaster for Clemson. And then all of a sudden, Sean Wade gets thrown out of a game. Trevor Lawrence is back in after one play. And, and he said it on a teleconference on Monday that after that play, it kind of gave him a different edge where – you know, he felt like he had just been knocked out of a game. And, you know, I think it, it made him – it was kind of a wake-up call to him to realize he needed to take over the game. And, and that's what we saw from that point forward. And it just seemed to be such a huge momentum swing for for Clemson. It, I, I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, Sean Wade was out of a game and Amir Reap's not as good. Because I don't think Amir Reap played bad. I think, I think you know. He got, he got targeted initially on that drive and he had a pass interference, I remember. But then after, after a while, that, I thought, he, he played a pretty good like game. Like you said, Wade's a playmaker, so he might have been able to make a, a play as the game progressed that Reap couldn't. So it was certainly a big loss. But it just seemed like that was the momentum swing. And it seemed like when Clemson... Clemson really needed momentum at that point of the game. Ohio State had all momentum to that point of the game. It seems like when Clemson needed to get the momentum back in the game, when they needed the swings to get themselves back in the game, they found them. And Ohio State, when it looked like those chances were going to come, like the fumble that was overturned to an, an incomplete pass, you know, that was a game-changing play that Ohio State didn't get. And you know there, there were times where Ohio State gave Clemson momentum, like the, the, the blocked punt attempt in the third quarter where Cameron Brown gets called for roughing the punter. And that was another instance where, just like the targeting penalty, Clemson gets a new set of downs and they go and they score a touchdown. And so Clemson, Clemson took advantage of some of Ohio State's mistakes in a way that Ohio State was not able to on the opposite end. Yeah, and if we're going to talk about momentum, because it really did feel like in that, sh- in that moment with Sean Wade, I mean, People argue uh, that nowadays about about whether momentum is real, but it just felt like a little bit of the air was sucked out of Ohio State when when Sean Wade got ejected there. Um, Ohio State had a chance to stuff Clemson in the locker in the first half, and it just didn't happen. And I think that allowed Clemson to swing the momentum too. Like that cannot be overlooked. If Ohio State had scored, like we said, in those red zone opportunities, the momentum can't be swung in the way that it was. Ohio State at that point was up 16, 16. Like, Clemson has a great offense. Clemson can overcome a 16-point deficit, and, and they obviously did. Um, this is, like, the most aggravating game in the world for Ohio State fans to talk about. There are so many things. Even after – so the drive after um, after the Sean Wade ejections. So so Clemson scores. It's 16-7. to Ohio State is a third and one on that next drive, and they just don't convert, and then they punt it right away to Clemson, and Clemson's go down and scores. Like, what happens if they get that third and one? Does, does Ohio State continue to drive, or, or do they punt it, like, shortly thereafter? Like, there were just so many moments where, man, if one thing had gone Ohio State's way, like, imagine. I, and, it, and, like, looking back on it, like, I really do think, like, I think Ohio State was the better team, which is, like, it makes me feel like a homer to say it, but it, it's I think it's true. There are just so many different areas where if if this one player had made this certain play or if the two calls that didn't go against Ohio, that, that went uh, Clemson's way, hadn't gone Clemson's way, like, what would have happened? 
I think Ohio State was a better team, but I also think that Clemson is a really, really good team, a team that has definitely proven its ability to win more than anyone else over the past half decade. And that's what it ultimately comes down to, is against a team like that, you're just not going to get away with little things that don't go your way. Ohio State could get away with that for 13 games this year because it was clearly better than every other team it played this season. But against a team like Clemson, any little thing can swing the game. And, and really, this game this game was the kind of game that I thought it was going to be. I, I said last week, I thought, I thought this was going to be a down-to-the-wire, a one-score game that either team could win and where one play could make all the difference. And, and it might, you could say it might have been eight plays or ten plays or whatever made all the difference. But, again, one of those games where if Ohio State, you know, if they hit that last touchdown or if even one of those other plays goes their way, maybe this is a completely different game. Maybe the Buckeyes win. And, and I think if we ran this game back, I think if these teams played ten times, I think Ohio State probably wins five times and Clemson probably wins five times. I think I think Ohio State might win more than five, but um, it, when when you talk about uh, you, you had mentioned that Ohio State could get away with certain things earlier in the season, I, and you reminded me of the Penn State game, which was an eleven point game where it felt like Ohio State had just given Penn State certain opportunities to, to win, and yet Ohio State had so much talent on has so much talent on this team, and they can they could just overcome stuff, and against Clemson. It's just hard. It's just hard when you make errors, when the ref, when when certain calls the refs make go against you. It's just hard to overcome overcome them against, like you said, one of one of the three best teams in the country. And that's why Ryan Day and players and other coaches kept saying all season, "We can be better. We can be better. We're not perfect." Even though they were blowing at everyone they play, they they knew going into a game like this. They were going to need to be near perfect. They were going to need to play their absolute best football of the season, and and that didn't happen. They, I still think they played well. I, and I and I think, I think it makes it almost. I think it probably makes it harder. It's kind of hard for me to speak from a fan's perspective because I I just view it differently. But I think it's even harder for us just to even kind of analyze it and break it down and I think it might be harder for a fan to come to terms with it when you can't just point at one thing you, you can't just look at it and say man if we were better in this one area we would have won this game or this one area cost us this game because you can just look at it and say we should have won this game that we we had everything we needed to win this game and we should be playing for a national championship right now but it's just not going to happen and that's that's a tough pill to swallow because I know looking ahead to, to the game on the 13th, I think it's going to be a great game. But I definitely think Clemson can win. As good as LSU looked against Oklahoma, I think LSU is a fantastic team. I think it's, and I, like I, said, I think it's going to be a great game. But I, I think Clemson can win that game. And if Clemson wins that game, or even if they keep it really close, Certainly, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're going to be sitting at home and thinking, what if? Because as close as we came to beating Clemson, if Clemson can beat LSU or if Clemson can even keep it really close with LSU, you're going to think, we could have won this game. 
Let's go just take a take a look back at, at those two calls and just sort of dig into them for a second because they're the two, they're, they're they're really the two moments that that everybody's talking about, everybody's looking back at. Um, the first with the with the targeting with Sean Wade. Like initially when it was called, when I saw that replay, I was like, shoot, I think I think I'm not I don't I don't know if it's the correct call if you're just like looking at it, but I think they're gonna call it. Um, it just it I I think by the letter of the law, I think they probably made the right call, and that's sort of an indictment on the law in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it probably technically was the right call. I don't think it was a malicious play. I think definitely not. I think Lawrence dropped into the hit, and 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 you see that with a lot of these targeting calls, where you know, if you you know, I think if you're watching the play, you know, Wade's going in for what's supposed to be a clean hit, and then but the game's played really fast. Lawrence drops his head, and it, it just happens to be where there's helmet to helmet contact. And it wasn't malicious by Lawrence either. It's not like he dropped his head no. intending for it. It's just this is just football, and it was such a slight. It was such. It was such a small thing that that's why. Like it, okay, if you want to call a fifteen yard penalty because the the goal is to get helmet to helmet contact out of football, I think that's. I think that's fine. If you're gonna throw someone out for that, that's crazy. Well, I think this is one of those games that's that's just going to bring up the certainly local but even national conversation on instant replay in in the role of that in the game of football and whether it's being abused at times because so many of these things football is a fast game things happen in real time things happen fast and then we we go to slow motion and we're and we're picking apart every single part of the play to try to determine you know, whether the correct call was made. And I think this is one of those games where you can look at it and say, is this good for football? Is it good for football that we, we have to go back to replay and, and, and check for the slightest little things? Did the ball move in the slightest way? Did the receiver take enough steps? Did, you know, was did the crown of a helmet technically make the hit on what didn't appear to be a malicious hit? I don't know the answer to that. It, it goes both ways. I mean, you look at the first drive of a game, if not for instant replay, that's not a catch for Garrett Wilson. So it, it goes both ways. But I do think it raises some of the questions that were already out there just about, you know, how instant replay is used and, you know, whether whether it gets relied on too much at times to make judgments in slow motion off of plays that are happening fast in real time. Yeah, I think that's an interesting conversation. The the other one is I just targeting, like if we're going to specifically talk about the Sean Wade thing, I just think you cannot throw a player out for what Sean Wade did. I agree. Because it wasn't intentional. It wasn't it wasn't malicious. There's nothing that he was trying to do other than sack the quarterback. I'm not exactly sure what he's supposed to do there. Of course, Trevor Lawrence is going to scrunch when he gets hit. Like he's not just going to like right. open up his open up his midsection and say, "All right, hit me here." Right. Like that, that that's just not going to happen. And and I think there just there has to be two different levels of targeting. I don't honestly I don't know exactly where they are in that. I know it's been suggested now for years. I've I've heard this suggestion. I'm not exactly sure why they haven't done it. It just makes a lot of sense to me. And it's just it's still hard to figure out. 
you know, it seems like the two conversations that have been had when it comes to replay and officiating in recent years is, you know, what constitutes targeting and what constitutes a catch. And we saw both of those things come into play in this game and specifically the targeting. It's just it's still hard to figure out exactly what they're going to call as targeting and, and what they're not because it's it's so often a judgment call. And I'm not opposed to targeting at all. I think it's actually a good thing to have in a game because I think you need to legislate out the truly malicious hits. But the problem is there's just such a fine line between you know what really is that malicious hit, what the targeting rule is intended for, and then what just technically falls into it because of the way the two players' bodies moved. In this, I think this one is easier to fix than, than the catch rule because there's a gray area, and if something falls in the gray area, it feels like there's another thing that you can add. It's, it doesn't have to be either ejection or no penalty. There can be a gray area. For a catch, it's either a catch or no catch. I think that one can sometimes be hard. This one, it just feels like there's a solution there, and I'm not quite sure why that it hasn't nothing has come. And, and there were, you know, rule changes made before the season that, and this came into play with Jordan Fuller earlier in the year, mm-hmm. where if all elements of targeting were not found on a play, the ruling was to overturn the penalty. In this case, they apparently decided that all elements of targeting were present. I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't. If I, all elements of targeting were present on that call, then there's something wrong with targeting. Right. That's I, just my opinion. I, I agree. I and, agree. And it's really, it's tough that that, that um, I mean, ultimately, I think that was probably going to be a penalty regardless. The, the, I, I, the conversation we're having is, should he have been thrown out? And, then, and to me, the answer is no. But under the letter of law, I guess they made the right call. The other one, I think, is tougher because. The the the, ca- the 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 catch that Justin Ross ha- Ross has the fumble and then the 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 scoop and score by Jordan Fuller, it felt like all of a sudden this was the swing that Ohio State had to get that momentum back on their side to sort of pull the game in their control, and then once again it just felt like it was ripped away. Yeah, and I, I'm just not sure how you overturn it. I, Watching the game live in the press box, I wasn't shocked that Sean Wade was ejected from the game for targeting. I was fairly shocked that they overturned that so was I. catch to be an incomplete pass. Because I, I will, I, I do think officials are more inclined now to let a play run and then overturn it if they have to, which I do think is a good thing because sometimes you have it go the other way around where it's initially ruled an incomplete pass and then it's overturned to a fumble and then a guy who would have scooped and scored for a touchdown, the play was already whistled dead, so that doesn't happen. But at the same time, I still question on that specific play how that one was overturned because watching the replay of it it certainly appeared like Justin Ross had possession of a football it wasn't moving in his hands he took multiple steps before Jeff Okuda knocked it out and it it seemed to me whether in college or NFL over the years that 
this idea of there's supposed to be indisputable evidence to overturn a call, it seems like that is not followed very closely anymore because it seems like a lot of calls are overturned now on judgment calls. And you know, to me, that was very much a judgment call. I, I'm surprised if they overturned it. And I think Ohio State fans and, and coaches and players and, and Gene Smith and everyone definitely has a legitimate gripe there because I don't think the call should have been overturned. And Gene Smith talked to multiple national reporters after the game. He said to one that he was pissed. And I, I do think he has every right to be. And, and like the thing was, there were. Bill Carolla, who's the Big Ten supervisor of officials and also national supervisor of officials and an NFL referee, there were all kinds of people who you saw in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath, come out and say, this call was wrong. I don't understand how you can get that call wrong in, in the college football playoff. And I think that one, like Ohio State fans just have reason to be aggravated over that one. And you can say, well, they had chances to win it later, but, you know, that doesn't still doesn't dismiss what would have happened there. I think that they would have won the game if this call was changed. And yes, they could have won the game if Chris Olave turned the turn, turned the correct direction. And if certain other things, if five other things that, that Ohio State had in its control, if they had done, man, this is one call. This is one call that, that really swung the game. Yeah, it, I, I will say, devils, just playing devil's advocate, I do think that Sometimes it's a little too simplistic to look at it and say, well, they lost by six points, so if they got seven points here, they would have won the game. Because every, every play and every, every way a game, every way certain things in a game unfold can affect the way the next thing in the game unfolds. And I, I don't necessarily know that, you know, everything else after that unfolds the same way if, if that play happens. But I, I agree in that it was a huge play in the game. It certainly could have tilted the game in Ohio State's favor. And yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those calls that Ohio State fans are gonna talk about for a long, long time. And unfortunately, the reality is you can't change it. It's, it's what's done is done. Clemson is gonna be playing for a national championship in New Orleans on January 13th. And Ohio State season is over. And you can't change that now. No, it's um, it's just weird. It's just weird. I mean, it's it's it felt like the entire season this the, this year was sort of like this magical year where they were just beating every team by 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 double digit points or crushing every team. Even Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game where they came back from, they still won by eleven points. Um, they destroyed Michigan, and then they rolled at Clemson and. They have a 16-0 lead, and it really does feel like the that I don't know how it felt like I don't know how it felt to you, but it felt like to me, you know, I think they're on the way to to just I don't know how, how much they're going to win by, but they're I felt like to me they're pretty clearly on the path to victory, and it all changed and on that one Sean Wade play where all of a sudden the, the momentum swings, and then man, there's like 12 different things that happened, but yeah, you're right. Game over. I guess they have to move on, but I'm not really sure how they can, how quickly they can move on, both um, in inside the program and outside the program. It, this is a hard this is a hard one for people to sort of swallow and, and move on from. It is. It is. It's certainly uh, a hard one, but 
I don't know how much choice people have. You know, I mean, you can't. The, the, nobody's going to come in and say, "Well, the official screwed up the call, so we're going to give Ohio State the game." That's it's just not going to happen. So, I think uh, certainly understand that Ohio State fans are, are going to have a tough time getting over that one, and that uh, it's going to be talked about for a long time. But life moves on. Uh, life moves forward, and I think if you're Ohio State. They've got to look forward in a couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be a big recruiting period again for Ohio State, and you know, in a couple of months they're going to be back on the field for spring practice. And you know, they've got to move forward to the twenty twenty season because this one's over now. Yeah, I'll say having covered now this is the fourth season. I guess I've, I've covered it. Um, it feels different right now than it's felt after any other season because, and, and part of it's just the the, the playoff. Um, but I still remember even in 2016, it felt a little bit different than right now. Because right now, this one feels more like a gut punch than, than anything else. It feels like they should have done more. It feels like, you know, they left something on the table. I, I remember back in 2016, it was pretty clear that they were not the best team in the country when they lost to Clemson. The last two, last two years, they, when they were preparing for a bowl game, it was, it was the Rose Bowl and, and the Cotton Bowl. And, you know, even before those games, I think, uh, we were turning the page to next season and thinking about what the, the next year might look like. Like this year, like I think uh, probably a month or two into the season, I was thinking that, that this year they would have a better chance to win the national title the next year. And I, and I still sort of feel that way. I think that this was the year. I think that I think that they were I think that they were arguably the best team in the country and they didn't even make the college football national title. And, and that to me is, is the most the wildest part of it all. Yeah, I think the difference is that in 2016, it was obvious that yeah, Clemson yeah, was better than Ohio State. There was there was no question that Clemson was better than Ohio State. You could argue whether Ohio State even belonged in the college football playoff that year. They they, they were not a championship caliber team that year. They just they just weren't. They didn't have the offense for it this year. All the pieces were in place, and Ohio State was good enough to beat Clemson. We, we, we won't ever truly be able to know if they were good enough to beat LSU because they're not going to get that opportunity, but they were good enough to beat Clemson. They were they good enough could to beat have, LSU. <laughs> and Clemson remains the hump that Ohio State just can't get over, and Clemson probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So most likely – if Ohio State's going to continue competing for national titles, they're probably going to have another run-in with Clemson again because Clemson's got the number one recruiting class coming in this year. They've still got Trevor Lawrence for another year. They're a team that's loaded with talent, and Dabo Sweeney has built one heck of a program there. And and that's going to be the hump that, that Ryan Day is, is going to have to get Ohio State over to get them to the, to the national championship. But, you know, I do think just, just looking back on the season as a whole, it's still a 13-1 season for Ohio State. It, it's tough. I, I think the, the one thing that's tough about the playoffs, and this is just the reality when you're a program like Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama or any of the, the real power programs in college football, is that if you don't win that national championship, it feels like a lost season and when you when you, when you get to the playoff and you lose in the playoff it 
you know, the, the last two seasons, they, they were not as good of seasons as this year, but they still were able to end with a win and end with a, a positive note because they won their bowl game. Whereas this year, you end it in such heartbreaking fashion that it can seem to overshadow everything else that Ohio State already did during the regular season. But I think that if you want to keep the season in perspective, you know, this was a tremendous first season for Ryan Day, a tremendous season for this program. I know before the year, we both picked Ohio State to go 11-1 and in the regular season. And, you know, I thought they could go 10-2. and They could go 9-3 and if things really didn't go well. Because there were, there were so many unknowns going into this year. Of a first-year head coach, a first-year quarterback, a brand-new defensive scheme. I thought... I certainly thought getting to the playoff was possible, but I didn't expect us to be in a position where a one-score loss to Clemson in the playoff was going to feel like some drastic missed opportunity. And I think that shows just how good this team was all season that, of course, the expectation at Ohio State is always to win a national championship, but we didn't know going into the year if that was really realistic. And then we realized as the year progressed that, yeah, that was realistic, that this team had all the pieces to win a national title this year. And now it makes not making the national championship game feel like this drastic disappointment. But I think at the start of the year, if we if this is what we had been talking about being the conclusion of the season, we would have thought it was a pretty good season. I think one of the most impressive parts of this entire season is – sort of the, the questions that they answered. Um, and I pulled this up because it's an article I wrote before the year. And, and you can go back and look at articles in the, in the spring, summer, fall camp. They all have similar questions. And it's just like every single one of them was answered with, a, uh, with an affirmative answer. Ohio State, let, let me just run through these real quick. Is Justin Fields a championship-level quarterback as a first-year starter? Yes. Yeah. Can J.K. Dobbins have his rebound season? Yes. Yes. Does Ohio State have enough depth in quarterback uh, at quarterback and running back to get by? Well, it didn't matter. Didn't matter. <laughs> uh, will KJ Hill? Uh, will Ohio State have compliments to KJ Hill at wide receiver? Chris Olave. Yeah. Um, can the inexperienced offensive line be an upgrade? Very much. Yeah. Yes. How well do the returning linebackers play under Al Washington? A lot better. Will the new defensive scheme prove to be what the Buckeyes need? Yes. Uh, can the defensive backfield return to best in America status? Yes. Can Ryan De- does Ryan Day have, have what it takes to succeed at the highest level as a head coach? Pretty close. Yeah. Uh, can the team make it back to the college football playoff? Yes. That is unbelievable. So, yeah, they, un- they, unbelievable. An- they answered all Every single question. the questions that we had. Now there's just that one lingering question of can they get over the hump? Can, can Ryan Day get this team back over the hump, back to a national championship? And... We'll find out. We'll, we'll talk more next week about kind of what we envision for 2020 and kind of look ahead at, you know, some more, more of a roster changes and, and different things that we expect for next year. But, you know, certainly I come out of this season feeling confident that, you know, Ryan Day's got this program on a great trajectory. It's only been one year. He did it with a roster almost entirely composed of guys that Urban Meyer brought in. So, He's still got a lot to prove, but certainly, you know, this was an outstanding first year for him. 
Ohio State was clearly one of the three best teams in college football this year. They're, they're not going to finish on the mountaintop, but I think that they proved a lot this season. Like you said, the tough pill to swallow is that they are going to lose some major key pieces this year. They're, J.K. Dobbins has already declared for the NFL draft. Chase Young and Jeff Okuda and maybe Sean Wade are guys that we expect to declare for the NFL draft. They're losing some other very important players on their defense like Jordan Fuller and Damon Arnett and Malik Harrison and Devon Hamilton. So they lose enough that you you do wonder whether this team can be as good, will be as good next year as they are as they were this year. But at the same time, I think there is every reason to feel confident that you know Ryan Day is capable of leading this team to a national championship just based on how close they got this season. Nothing nothing Ohio State did this year guarantees them success in the future, but I think you can learn stuff of, of, of what Ohio State did this year. I think sort of one of the most impressive things, and, and it's what I wrote about on Tuesday, was like at Ohio State, you, you hear about it sometimes, but Ohio State, you're not expected to really rebuild. You're expected to reload. You're expected to retool the roster on the fly. And I think it matters that, that Ryan Day really did that in the first year and did so successfully. I mean, he had some really tough decisions to make. He, I understand bringing in Justin Fields on the outside is a really easy call. Of course, you want to bring in Justin Fields. But all of a sudden, I think he sort of you have to have an idea that that could lead every quarterback on your roster to transfer, and all of a sudden, it's Justin Fields or literally nobody. And he was willing to make that choice. Um, when they had an opening on the offensive line, they got Jonah Jackson. Like that, that I think that pickup really showed what they can do in the transfer portal, um, along with Justin Fields. And then on the on the defensive coaching staff, he had to make great hires, and it really seems like he did. I think Jeff Halfley was almost too good of a hire. He leaves in one year. He nailed the Jeff Halfley hire. I thought the Greg Madison hire at the time, I didn't I didn't really understand it that much. Looking back on it, it seems like he made the right call. Al Washington was a great hire. Um, seems like Matt Barnes had a pretty solid year, though I'm still not 100% sure how to evaluate Matt Barnes other than just straight up special teams right now. Um, but I think, we can, I think we can learn from what Ryan did in retooling in year one and it's, it's a tough standard to hold him to because I don't think he's going to get Justin Fields every single offseason. But you have to, as a head coach at Ohio State, be able to retool and reload without rebuilding at really any position. you got to figure out a way to, to overcome certain holes, make the right hires, and do that on the fly. And that's a really tough thing, and, and he did that in year one. What would you say impressed you most about this season? Oh, the pure dominance. Definitely the dominance. I mean, it's pretty rare that a team can go through the first 13 games and win them all by double digits. It just, at until the very last game, really at no point in the, uh, sorry, until the Wisconsin game, really at no point in the year was I ever thinking, Ohio State's really in danger, at least in the middle of the game. Maybe I thought that before a game or two early in the season when I didn't really quite realize what was in store. Um, but this team this team's level of sheer dominance throughout the entire season was was sort of remarkable how about you yeah i mean i think you know two things really i mean i think just first of all the the defensive turnaround and you know they, they didn't have their best game of the year against 
Clemson, they, they had a few games down the stretch that weren't quite as strong as earlier in the year, but just to go from what they had been last year as as a defense where they were the defense was such a big weakness and it 400 it, yards allowed per game yeah it, it cost them it, it, a spot in the college football playoff led to a really embarrassing loss at purdue and just to turn that around in such a big way in just one year and obviously they only had jeff halfley for one year so someone else is going to need to come in and and work with that secondary and pair with greg madison to lead the defense next year but I think that was certainly a huge storyline of his season and a huge, huge reason for their job. But then, you know, certainly Justin Fields coming in and performing as well as he did as a first-year starting quarterback. I expected a lot more growing pains. I expected a much more up-and-down season for him as a first-year starting quarterback. And he was fantastic. He, 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 he had an excellent year. and knowing that he's going to be back for another year and that he's now going to have a year of experience under his belt and that you know now he could take his game to even another level that has to be really exciting if you're Ohio State to 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 think about the possibilities of what Justin Fields could do next season yeah I know you want to do at least some superlatives so I'm going to set you up and just set you up to say the exact same thing that you said but (laughs) <laughs> who's your who's the MVP of this season? Yeah, it's got to be Justin Fields. J.K. Dobbins was spectacular, running for over 2,000 yards. Chase Young had one of the best individual seasons in history for Ohio State defensive player. But what Justin Fields brought to this team, if they didn't land Justin Fields, this would have been a completely different season. We wouldn't be talking about a disappointing college football playoff loss because they wouldn't have made it there. So Justin Fields, without a doubt, MVP carried this team had a fantastic first season and is the number one reason why we'll be talking about this team as a playoff contender next year even though they're going to lose a lot of our key players yeah mvp i really wanted to go a different direction like i think jk dobbins i think the identity that ohio state has is largely because of what they did on the ground offensively um jk had an unbelievable year one of the best in ohio state history Yet, it's, I, I can't not pick Justin Fields. Like you said, he changed the offense. Um, up until last game, 40 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio is like un, unbelievable. Like, like, if you just think about that, 40, 40 touchdowns, one interception, he had more like dropped interceptions than interceptions, which was funny and, and it sort of came back to bite him at the very end. But um, I, I, I can't not pick Justin Fields. Who would you say was maybe the most underappreciated player under the radar star of his team i feel like i have to ban myself from saying i knew what you're gonna say i mean i can't say (laughs) hamilton Uh, i'll say he's the most improved player um from last year underappreciated do you have someone in your in in your head it i don't know but it's necessarily no i i think i can say I, i i think i would say jonah jackson because i think Wyatt Davis got most of a hype among that interior offensive line. And I think you know Josh Myers being the center, he got a lot of hype. And deservedly so, because I think all three of them were fantastic. But I think Jonah Jackson coming in from Rutgers, just like bringing in Justin Fields, that was just an enormous move for this season. Because I think that offensive line, especially that interior offensive line, made such a huge difference on this season. And I think Jonah bringing in Jonah Jackson to solidify what I think would have been a weak link spot 
on that offensive line after they lost Michael Jordan to bring in Jonah Jackson and for him to play at the level that he did. It was great for him because I think he substantially bolstered his draft stock for the upcoming NFL draft, and it was great for Ohio State because I think he provided really key leadership and excellent play in that interior offensive line. I'm going to go with Luke Farrell, who had seven catches. <laughs> Do you remember after the first game when we were like, man, I think this is the year they might get the tight end involved. Yeah. They're going under center, baby. Yeah, it was. It, that, that, we, I think we were very wrong on, on that initial take, and maybe that's something to think of last year when everybody all wants to give all their takes after one game. I mean, remember, um, there were also people after the first game that thought Master Teague should be playing more than J.K. Dobbins. He, he should not have. Um, yeah, I do remember that. Uh, God, that feels so long ago. It does. But I'll pick, I'll pick Luke Farrell because um, he – it, more so than his blocking than anything else. I think that Ohio State's tight ends were really good blockers this year, and I think that really mattered. Like that's one of the reasons to me um, that that their offense, like I said, had the identity that it had with J.K. Dobbins and, and Justin Fields both being able to run. I think it. I think I think both Jeremy Ruckert and and, and um, Luke Farrell have enough pass catching ability that you have to at least pay attention to them. And I know Jeremy Ruckert more so than Luke Farrell as a pass catcher, but I think you have to pay attention to them at least. But Luke Farrell is a really good blocker. And um, it's hard to always, it's hard to honestly ever look at the tight end and be like, man, great tight end block. But Luke Farrell doesn't get enough credit for that. And, and I think he's, he's, he's my pick for most underappreciated. A few other guys I would give credit to. Malik Harrison at linebacker had a fantastic season. I don't think that he really ever quite got the love that he deserved in his Ohio State career because he was overshadowed by Chase Young and, and Jeff Okuda. But and he's he, and he's quiet. Like literally, that's one of the reasons he just doesn't do many interviews, just because no, he's, he's he's quiet. You're right. You're right. He's not a particularly outgoing guy in terms of interview or whatnot. But a fantastic player was certainly the star of that linebacker core this year made a huge impact for the defense this year. And, you know, I, I think I'll turn the secondary, too. I think Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade really got most of uh, the headlines. But I think Damon Arnett was another guy you're talking about most improved player. That was going to be my pick for most he, improved. He, he, he would be my pick for most improved as well because he, he made such huge strides this year, went from being a really inconsistent player to someone who I think just had an excellent season in coverage. And then I think Jordan Fuller on the back end as well is another guy who's who, who sometimes underappreciated for how key he was in in just solidifying the back end of that defense. And, and we saw it, I think, a couple times it burned them when they they tried to give different looks on defense and had Jordan Fuller playing closer to the line of scrimmage and had Josh Proctor playing in the middle of the field. Uh, we saw that on the Trevor Lawrence long touchdown run. and. And you know we'll talk about this more next week. I, I think the biggest question mark going into next year is going to be the secondary. And I think losing guys like Damon Arnett and Jordan Fuller, in addition to possibly losing Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade, is the reason why. Yep, I agree with that. Um, biggest surprise on the team, what would you say? It's a tough one. I mean, I, it it, it kind of goes back to what we just said about you know, the defenses, the strides that they made and how quickly they were able to make those strides and Justin Fields being able to make the strides that he did. If we if we want to go the other direction and say maybe a negative surprise or just something that was a disappointment, I, I would go with Brendan White, who, of course, made the announcement to transfer to Rutgers 
uh, this past week. Repeat of the bullet. I yes, we we, we thought he was going to make a big impact. We thought the bullet was going to be a real position in Ohio State's defense. It was not. Brendan White, smartly in my opinion, made the decision to go play somewhere else next season because he he just didn't seem to fit the defense that Greg Madison and these Ohio State coaches ran this year. I think he'll go succeed at Rutgers. It's a very different program, but I think he will have success there reuniting with his former defense coordinator, Greg Schiano. And it was just a little surprising, not necessarily a criticism of Ohio State that he didn't because their defense played well all year, but it was just surprising that he didn't he didn't find a way into the lineup. Yep, I agree with that. I think if we're going to go another direction, I think maybe biggest surprise would be just how good Jonah Jackson was. Like I thought, I think Jonah Jackson was honorable mention All Big Ten, and and when he was coming in, I was sort of like, eh, I mean, some people's got it. some people have to vote someone from Rutgers, right? And you just imagine. Um, I I didn't really think he was going to be the level he was, which was first team All Big Ten by the coaches. Um, biggest disappointment. It's hard to say, but like maybe I'll just go. Um, it's not a giant disappointment, but, you know, I thought Austin Mack and, and Ben Victor might have a, a little bit more of an impact this season. They weren't bad by any means. Um, I think early in the year, Ben Victor all of a sudden looked to become one of the more consistent receivers, and then he just he, the balls didn't come his way for a little bit down the stretch. Um, and he also he never he never made a play like the Penn State play last year. Um, there weren't any plays like that. And I think those two, I, I just – I sort of thought maybe we would see at least one of them take a, a significant jump, and it, it wasn't really a disappointment. I can't really call it that because it was largely what we had seen from them before. But but uh, you know, I, I was left wondering a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think those are two guys that we kind of always expected a little more from, and you know, thought you know by the end of their careers they might be stars. And you know, I I don't think they had bad careers by any no. means, but I I think they were somewhat forgettable careers. I just don't think. I don't think in 10 years that Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor are, are people that Ohio State fans are going to be talking about much more because I just don't think that they made that kind of impact on their, in their Ohio State careers. I'm really interested to see them in the NFL because, you know, while, while they never really had that breakout at Ohio State, you know, Ben Victor, you just look at him, like he's still this sort of physical freak in terms of his, his height and his length, and you know teams are going to take a chance on him. And I think Austin Mack... Austin Mack has a, makes a catch like once every two games where I'm like, whoa! And then I wonder why he doesn't get the ball that much. Um, and I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm interested to see them at the next level, what they what they might be. what they might be. Colin, are you trying to be Chris Berman here for sound effects? I am, yeah, yeah. If you guys uh, want me to do more sound effects, let me know. And if you want me to never do one again, also, uh, actually, you don't, need to, you don't need to let me know. I already know. Well, we only have a few minutes left, so we're going to try to get to a few of your questions. Going to be honest, some of the questions that you guys asked are questions that we're not going to get to this week because they weren't really questions that we could answer. They were more uh, pointed questions with predetermined answers that you were hoping we'd agree with you on. Uh, but there's a few that we'll, we'll, we'll get to before we run out of time here that are more legitimate questions. Nutabuck has asked us, What's the best way to mourn the death of an all-time great college football team? That's a tough one for me to answer because, again, I don't really view it the same way that a, a fan might view it. You know, I think, I think it's hard because I think right now it, it's hard to see 
the positives when you're coming off such a, a heartbreaking loss. And I think it's going to take a while for people to get over that. Uh, you know, especially when you're watching a national championship game and thinking if the Buckeyes could have been there. But I do think there's a lot to celebrate. Nutterbuck has made the point that, you know, he believes Ryan Day will win multiple national championships, but he doesn't know that any of his teams will be as good as this year's team, which makes this loss so hard to stomach. And yeah, I mean, it it, it, it is hard for that reason because we don't know. We don't know. I, I think Ryan Day will win a championship in his time at Ohio State. I think he will have more great teams at Ohio State in the future, but will any of them be as good as this year's team was? We don't know because I think this year's team was really, really good, and I think it's there's pro- it's probably likely that at some point there's going to be seasons that are rougher in terms of not being able to dominate their competition the way they were for most of this year. Yeah, I think you mourn it by thinking back to the dominance that was shown throughout the year. And, of course, you're going to always come back to the Clemson game and what could have been. But you look back at at last year and think uh, of of the dominance. And then you also think, you know, Justin Fields coming in, got the number three recruiting class in 2020, got the number one recruiting class in 2021. Things aren't all that bad down the line. Things are going to be just okay in Columbus. R. Kyle T. 83, don't know if I pronounced that right, but he asked about, he said, you both do a nice job of being unbiased for your opinions. I think that's really important in a moment like this. We try. His opinion is that Ohio State was the dominant superior team to Clemson, but lost mostly due to poor execution when it mattered. Others have emphasized the officiating being the main culprit. What, in your opinions, contributed mostly to this loss? We talked it before. I think it's just hard to separate one from the other. I think it's just such a combination of everything. And there's so many different things that could have swung in Ohio State's direction. I certainly understand why some people are going to point to the officials as the number one thing, because that's what was out of Ohio State's control. And if you know you take away that targeting call against Sean Wade, you take away that overturned fumble touchdown, Ohio State probably wins the game. But I also think they could have overcome those those calls to win the game, and they didn't do that. And you can't a sixty minute game. You, you can't simply boil it down to one or two calls that went against you. So I think it was a combination of of everything. To say that one more than the other, I th- I think that's hard to say. I think it's just all a part of the story here. And I think if Ohio State had executed better when it mattered, I think they would have won the game. But you also certainly cannot write off the calls that went against them. Yeah, I, I do think like what can what contributed most is, you know, I think there are more instances of areas where maybe Ohio State could have overcome, could could have executed better in a certain area. I mean, even the last Clemson drive was four plays, ninety four yards. Like that's 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 insane. Um, at the end of the game, if Chris Olave turns the right direction, you know, what could have been? Um, there were obviously all those other moments throughout the game. So if you're going to talk quantity, there, 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 there was more quantity for, for Ohio State to, to execute better. But you can also look at the two calls and think, man, that really swung the game. So it's hard to choose one. It really is. This is the tough game where it's both. It really is. It truly is. Brendent asked us about rumors and hearsay about the possibility that Jeff Okuda may come back. If you could guess on that, what would you put the chance of it happening is? Not very high. I'm going to be... Yeah. 0.5%? I'm going to be honest. I, I'd be 
I'd be pretty shocked. I Same. would be way more shocked. I would be completely blown away and not not understanding it at all. Um, and I know that's probably not what Ohio State fans want to hear, but the, the guy's going to be a top 10 pick. I'm not sure what he would necessarily get out of coming back to Ohio State other than to play for national championship. And I get that that's an alert, but you know what? So is the uh, millions of dollars that he would make in the NFL. Correct. And, and chance to play for a Super Bowl. Correct. And the same goes for Chase Young. Yes. Uh, I, I'd be really surprised if I ever come back. Uh, I think of the emotions of the moment. Guys are might guys are going to say something like that. Like, you know, I want to win a national championship, so they, they might be more inclined to come back. But I think when you really – for both of those guys specifically. Sean Wade, I think, is a little bit more of an interesting decision, and we'll discuss more about that next week, whatever decision he ends up making on Saturday. But I think for those two guys in particular, Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, you're talking about top 10 NFL draft picks. From a draft stock standpoint, they don't have anything to gain from coming back. I'd be shocked if I ever come back. They've they've had outstanding Ohio State careers. They've done everything they can do to, to prove that they belong in the early first round of the NFL draft, and I think it's time for them to make that move. Throughout the year, um, Chase Young had the, the best season by an Ohio State defensive player, but I'd argue down the stretch Jeff Okuda was their best player. I thought Jeff Okuda's um, performance against Clemson was was outstanding. Um, he was he was really he was, he was a lockdown cornerback in the way that all NFL teams would want. Last few questions to go rapid fire through here. Spinny516 asks, who do you think starts at running back next year? Is it Teague or does Crowley and or Steele push him for playing time or surpass him as a starter? I think it will be Master Teague. I think Crowley and Chambers will push him. I don't, I don't think it will be a situation like this year where one running back gets all the carries. I think it's going to be much more by committee. It would go like, would go like 60% Master like 35% Crowley and 5% Steel. Um, I think it'll probably be Master, but I'm also, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm interested to see what the Marcus Crowley experience has in store. And, and his, his season got, got um, ended prematurely, so I'm not sure whether it would he would have played at all a factor when, when J.K. got hurt um, against Clemson. But, but I'm interested to see what, what he can do, because he's a little more shifty than um, master 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 literally runs like a bowling ball in that like he doesn't move, change directions at all like he just runs he runs sort of in a um in a sort of like a semicircle <laughs> when he's running to the outside and he'll just run straight and you know if you run a 4-4 and you're a ball of muscle like him that works but i'm also i also think that you know i i doubt that he's going to be the sole starter in the way that jk was this year no i think it's going to be by committee and i think playing time is certainly up for grabs i think all those guys have something to prove in the spring and summer and any one of those guys could make a jump you know, even mayan williams the incoming freshman might have a chance to earn a little bit of playing time just because they're so wide open so inexperienced at that spot smitty also asked what role do we see jalen gill having next year that's going to be another big question going into the spring i i think that h-back spot is open it's wide open with kj hill gone i i think he's going to get a chance to seize that spot if he doesn't then i i think that i think this i think this is going to be a make or break off season for him because i think we kind of expected him to be in the rotation by now that didn't happen this year but kj hill was a really good player they didn't want to take him off the field much. Gill's going to have that opportunity, but with the talent that's coming in at receiver behind him, if he doesn't get himself into the rotation at that H-back spot this year, 
it it might never happen for him. Yeah, he has a lot working in his favor, and that there are um, there's really not a lot of options at H back right now. I do think though that they that there's other guys who could move inside. I think a moving a Chris Olave inside, or even some of these freshmen coming in like a, a Jackson Smith and Jigba moving inside. I think. I think they're going to consider different possibilities of moving guys around to get their best receivers on the field. And I think Jalen Gill has to prove he's one of their best receivers to earn that spot. I don't think he's just going to get it because he's the most natural H-back. I think they're going to ultimately try to put their best receivers on the field, and Jalen Gill has to prove that he's one of them. Well, I definitely agree with that. My point is that there are – like the – the competition right now is if they want to shift people around or if they want to play a freshman over a, a third-year guy who is a near five-star prospect. Right. I mean, this is, like you said, this is the year. This this has to be the year for him in the same way, honestly, that last year had to be the year for DeMario. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I think this is the year for Jalen Gill. Uh, if it doesn't happen this year, I think it's going to be tough for him. And that's something we'll be talking about a lot in the spring and summer for sure. Smitty also asked, do you see any more surprises like Enoch Vamahi last year to round out the 2020 recruiting class? That'd be a better question for our recruiting guy, Zach Carpenter, and we'll, we'll certainly have him on again between now and the February signing day to talk about some of that. But from what we've heard so far, there doesn't seem to be any real obvious candidates there. I'm sure they'd like to add another defensive back with Clark Phillips' flip to Utah. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is a guy they might be looking at at the running back spot, but it seems like he's trending more towards Southern schools. So there certainly could be a surprise. I think if we had this podcast at this time last year, we wouldn't have been talking about Enoch Vamahi. So there certainly could be a surprise, but right now I don't think there's any obvious candidate. Yeah, it, it does seem like the, the defensive back might might be um, the thing to look out for, and I'm not, I'm not sure who it would necessarily be right now. Obviously, Cameron Martinez is just a guy who they're going to want to lock down in the next month or so. Um, but it does seem like they would probably want another guy. Who that would be, couldn't tell you right And I now. think we're probably, at this point, probably looking at only one or two signees in February. I don't, I don't, they don't have a lot of spots left. So I, I think probably no more than two two new freshmen signing in february and then you know if there's needs of a transfer portal to look at certain guys that could certainly happen as well some of that's going to be determined by what happens for the next couple of weeks in terms of who else declares for the nfl draft and if if guys look to transfer which i certainly think uh, we could see a few of those as well and you know in a few weeks from now we'll have a better idea of how many spots there really will be left on the roster and whether there's room for them to make a late push for a couple guys. Silver Sniper asked, what are my what do my buddies that I knew while covering Clemson saying about the game? Well, I don't think they're talking about the calls as much as Ohio State fans are. I think they're talking more about how Clemson won the game and you know what what they're gonna have coming up against LSU. But you know, I will say just from you know from what I've heard from, you know, people who played for Clemson, coach for Clemson, and cover Clemson, I think they all recognize that Ohio State was a really, really good team. I think they all thought it was an excellent game. I think they all certainly recognize that Ohio State could have won that game and, and had opportunities to do so that they weren't able to take advantage of. And, you know, I think I think Clemson fans are, are very excited to have won that game and to be going to another national championship. And I think you know, people involved with Clemson look at that more as, you know, 
Dabo Sweeney and his squad finding a way to win yet again, as they've done so many times here in this great run that they've been on. But I certainly think they all have a ton of respect for Ohio State. You know, this is a very different scenario than three years ago where Dabo Sweeney said after the game that, you know, they were really confident they were going to beat Ohio State. He didn't say anything like that this time. He said he and, you know, all of his assistant coaches and players all said they had a ton of respect for Ohio State in, in the game if the Buckeyes played against him. And I think they I think they feel really fortunate that they were able to come out of that one with a win. And I think it's going to be a fun national championship game to watch. The second part of Silver Sniper's question was, which phrase is more accurate? SEC ref crew is extremely incompetent or SEC ref crew is extremely biased? Um, it's, they were incompetent on those two plays. There's, um, I, it, it is hard to, uh, would, it would be hard for me to say that they were biased considering um, I'm not exactly sure why an SC ref crew would be biased. And I know. I think the idea is you know, if I, people think Ohio State's the better team, that they, they're trying to get Clemson into play LSU. I, yeah, I get the idea. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I agree. But, um, I agree. <laughs> I'm going to go with incompetence on that one. Yeah, I think it's more than a little bit of a stretch, but I do understand. I do understand the sentiment. I understand why uh, people are upset about the officials. It's it's always harder to swallow a loss like that when you feel like it was taken away by things that happened out of a team's control. That's true whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, or whether you're a fan. So uh, certainly a tough loss to swallow. Certainly understand why people are feeling the way about that game that they were. And uh, certainly I think it's going to be one of these games that we talk about for a long time as one of those games that got away from Ohio State. But it is 2020 now. Uh, a couple months from now, Ohio State will be back in the field for spring practice. And we've got eight months to talk about it before a new football season starts again. So we'll be back next week. Next week's episode, we're going to focus more on looking ahead, what we see coming up in 2020, some of the different roster changes. Maybe we'll kind of roll through you know, what the roster could look like, what are some of the different changes the team could make and uh, probably talk a little bit about basketball and, and some of the other stuff that's going on at Ohio State as well. So as always, if you have questions for us, let us know. You can, you know, we'll, we always post a thread on the 11 Warriors forums, but if you have other things you want to talk about, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, email us, however you want to do it. Now that we're getting into the off season, we want to talk about the things that you guys want to hear about. So we'll try to get creative. We'll probably have some episodes that are more, you know, focused on specific topics or, or different things that we really want to spend time discussing in more detail. But we want, we want the show to be interesting. We want it to be something that you guys want to listen to, even when there are no games being played. So uh, please give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear about. If there's different things you want us to maybe take a deep dive into or or talk about more now that we have more time in the off season, let us know. And uh, we'll, we'll certainly consider any ideas that you all have as our loyal listeners. So thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you again next week.